are entering the Freedom Hut. President Trump still throwing down with Nancy Pelosi over who's the mean one and who's willing to work with the other side. But what's really got the liberals all in a tizzy, all fired up, is that the president's releasing information about the Russia investigation origins via the attorney general's discretion. This is big, folks. Declassify it. That and more coming up on a Freestyle Friday. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So we want to be very transparent. So as you know, I declassified everything, everything they want. I put it under the auspices of the attorney general. He's going to be in charge of it. He's a uh, great gentleman and a highly respected man. So everything that they need is declassified. And they'll be able to see how this uh, hoax, how the hoax or witch hunt started and why it started. Uh, it was a an attempted coup or an attempted takedown of the president of the United States. It should never, ever happen to anybody else. You're going to learn a lot. I hope it's going to be nice, but perhaps it won't be. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. California edition out here still in Los Angeles. I'll be back in the swamp next week, not to worry. I'll be back to my swamptastic self uh, next week in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. I feel like they needed an injection of freedom. I'm going to show up to the, to the, the district, the, uh, People's, the People's Communist Republic of Washington, D.C., and uh, I'll certainly, certainly have lots of folks to catch up with there. But the president is uh, dropping a little bomb, so to speak, right before the long weekend by giving the attorney general the discretion to release whatever he deems fit in, uh, from the Russia investigation anything and everything now let's let's just the, the, the press is obviously trying to do everything they can to shape the narrative around this to prepare the battleground so that nothing really bad will come of it for them as they have all been complicit in the russia collusion hoax not all of them but the vast majority of them as they scramble for some story that they can cobble together of how there wasn't a deep state coup to take down this president, how there was not abuse of power, abuse of authority, spying, big SPY spying on a presidential campaign by Obama appointees to help Hillary win, folks. This is, if you wrote the novel, people would say it was too unrealistic. Here we are. So, the president is doing what I've been hoping he would do all along. In fact, the president is doing what he told me in the Oval Office he would do back in October. He's declassifying the documents, or I should say, a little bit of a tweak to that. He has given a duly empowered and entirely appropriate government official, the Attorney General, Bill Barr, has given him the full executive blessing to go through and release whatever should be released in this process. Now, Let's just keep in mind that yesterday, when news of the Assange indictment broke, and you'll see the journalists are saying, oh, it's, it's, it's an assault on journalism. Well, 
they're not that upset about it. They can't help it. They feel like Assange sold out Team Hillary, and Team Hillary to the Lib Journos is more important than the First Amendment. Just is. Team Hillary is uh, what they were really rooting for. And Assange crossed them on that one, and so they can't bring themselves to really get fully and totally fired up on behalf of Julian Assange and the fact that I, I will say this, I don't like what Assange I don't like the way Assange goes about what he does, but I think that if you're gonna if you're gonna tell the New York Times they can release classified information, you cannot tell Julian Assange he cannot release classified information. I'm sorry. That's uh, this is a matter of law, this is a matter of principle. Just because people like the New York Times who make big decisions in government doesn't mean that they get to live by a different set of laws or the Washington Post or any of of these major outlets. So what does Trump do now, though? Well, he, he says Bill Barr now can go through this, release documents. The attorney general is empowered. Yesterday, the journos, the lib journos were all saying, oh, okay, so, you know, we like Assange kind of, not really, but kind of. But radical transparency is a good thing, and Trump is being a tyrant by... And then they barely have time to write their editorial saying so much. And now today, transparency is a bad thing. Today, you have people who were former employees of the security state, some of whom were directly involved with or knew individuals who were, in these cases, making these decisions about Russia collusion, about the surveillance, and... They're running this whole game. They always do. Oh, it's going to endanger our national security and sources and methods. Are we kidding? No, the, the attorney general is going to go through the process. This is all a question of discretion. This is all a question. And it, it always is with classified information. You know, there, there's, uh, there, there are gray areas and there are judgment calls that have to be made. And here's the way I see it. If the truth is that. What happened here is what I believe it to be. And if we can get the names to make it so that it is irrefutable, the libs will still deny it. They'll deny it no matter what. I mean, they would deny it if we had a recording between Brennan and the Hillary campaign and James Comey all concocting this thing in real time on a phone call. I mean, they don't have that. But I'm saying even if they had the most smoky of smoking gun evidence, you'd have plenty of libs that are like, oh, no, there's nothing Nothing wrong happened here. Nothing to see. No problem. Trump's the problem. Wait, but what about the deep state coup against the president? Isn't that isn't that un- unsettling to people? Doesn't that doesn't that concern them? Doesn't that make it more likely that they're going to be, you know, more of these going forward? Isn't this don't we have to address this? I would offer to you the following. If we are balancing out as a society, and we always do when it comes to national security information versus the public's right to know. If there was a deep state coup effort against the president, as I believe very clearly there was, then the imperative, the need to get that information out dwarfs the apparent need for some secrecy in some of the investigation dealing with Russia collusion because it was all crap anyway. You know the names of some of the people who are involved in this. They're already alleged to be different government informants and agents. And we really think they're going to be in jeopardy if it comes out that it just confirmed what everybody already thinks about some of these people. 
They're going to be in great. No, they're not going to be in great danger. They're going to get a professorship at Harvard and they're going to be on MSNBC every night. This whole sources and methods thing. What we're, we're supposed to protect. It's more important to protect somebody who tried to, you know, entrap George Papadopoulos over a few drinks wherever this occurred, and whichever individual we're talking about, because there were a few of them that seemed to go this route, more important to protect that person's backstory or whatever than to know if the FBI and perhaps some foreign intelligence agencies or, or whomever was trying to destroy a presidential campaign because they couldn't stand the thought of Queen Hillary losing. Don't let them obscure what is important here. What's important is the truth. What's important is that we not we don't just have transparency for its own sake, but that we can get answers. And the way to get answers here is to release information. This is obviously what the president should do. This is the right move. And yet, who wants to think or who wants to guess uh, what the, the left's view of this is? Do, do you think that they take a, a fair-minded and bipartisan, country-first approach? No, of course not. I mean, you've got Nadler, who's just a babbling buffoon, running around saying that he's, this, is, this is all, to everything that they do for the sake of transparency is now dirtying things up. Yesterday it was a cover-up. Now it's an uncovering that is a dirtying. It's dizzying. You can't keep up with all the Democrat contortions the the way that they stretch and abuse and manipulate and distort logic to uphold all these positions these these contradictory positions these nonsensical positions oh well he's they're not transparent enough oh no now they're being too transparent it's not fair oh there's a cover-up oh no they're uncovering things stop all that uncovering you can't show us that it's because here, here is, I often say Democrats don't have principles. Here is their principle. Destroy Trump at all costs. Whatever hurts Trump is good. Whatever helps Trump is bad. That's, that's where they operate from. That is how they approach every aspect of their job as Democrats in the Congress, every aspect of their job as lib journalists in the media. And that's how you get guys like Nadler who are suggesting that this information being declassified is some terrible thing. Remember, you know, o- Obama declassified the, uh, you know, interrogation techniques over the objections of, of like, the whole in- uh, uh, defense and intelligence community. But, you know, Obama said, well, we, have, we have to know, you know, we have to get to the truth. This is a much bigger deal. A much bigger deal. And they're like, oh, no, we can't know this stuff. Got to protect, got to protect the sanctity of the FISA court. I think the we may be heading for the abolition of the FISA court, my friends. Yeah. We may have to start from scratch, build it anew, the whole process. Tell me about it. We need to protect the FISA court. Here's what Nadler says, though, because he's a clown. Play seven. It's part of the uh, uh, Trump and Republican plot to dirty up the uh, intelligence uh, community uh, to pretend that there's something wrong with the beginning of the Mueller investigation and to uh, persecute and bring into line the, the intelligence agencies. You know, in a sense, he's right. In a sense, he's right. This is, this is an effort to dirty up the intel agencies that were a part of this, to dirty up the Democrats and the media that are all working together. But here's the problem that he doesn't deal with. It's dirtying them up 
with the truth. It is dirtying them up with facts. Trying to release information that is essential to our understanding of what really happened here. Trying to get it out into the public sphere. So that we can know, instead of either guessing or analyzing and surmising, any good faith person in this whole process who cares about this should welcome this. But what do we see from Democrats? There is no good faith at all. All they offer is politics. Politics in pursuit of raw power. Destroy Trump at all costs. That's the only principle. Everything else is secondary or non-existent. Declassifying information about a coup against the president of the United States operated from the top reaches of our own security agencies. That's something that if it happened, we need to know. And if it didn't happen, we need to know. Although it happened. I want the evidence. Now Trump has made a move in that direction. Let me just say this before we've got more on this, but. You know, this is also very important timing. Because by allowing the attorney general discretion to declassify things that deal with the Russia investigation, it means that there will also be a greater latitude for him, perhaps, to uh, have information that the inspector general's report, which is coming out soon, that looks at the Russia investigation, there might be more information that can be included. Very important information. Classification is not, and this is from the regulations, and I know because I used to have a top secret clearance, Classification does not exist to cover up, obscure, or excuse government misconduct. Classification is not a political tool. It's not supposed to be. At this point, anyone who claims that we should not know exactly what happened in this Russia investigation to get Trump is absolutely playing politics and nothing else. So pay attention to all these former this person and that person from this agency or that agency going on TV saying, oh, this is so terrible. They just don't want to be humiliated publicly because they will be humiliated when this information gets out because they've been playing for the wrong team. They've been lying. They've been misleading the American people intentionally for years on this issue. And now it's time for payback. And all you need for that payback is the truth to get out. And that's why they're so opposed to it. Got much more coming your way, team. Stay with me. You know, James Comey has changed his story a number of times. Uh, Originally, it was we didn't spy and we didn't wiretap. Well, he's going to change it again. Now he's going to say, well, we didn't break the law when we spied and wiretap, because I think the American people will see that very soon. Additionally, what we've got to find is the additional documents in terms of what they knew, when they knew it. And I can tell you, I've seen some unclassified documents that would indicate that the FISA warrants, the very first FISA warrant was predicated on something they knew was false and they knew that before they made the application. You see, it's not that people are going to get frog marched down to the station because of what happened in the Russia collusion investigation, although that there could be some. If I were uh, Comey or Andrew McCabe, I'd probably want to have very good legal representation right now. But it's more that it will show I believe, especially when these documents are released, beyond any reasonable doubt, there will be unreasonable doubts. The libs will conjure up unreasonable doubts of all kinds. Make no mistake about it. They, you, you will never, there are some libs who still believe that Trump took orders from Putin on the election. I mean, it, you'll never change their mind. It does not matter. It is an article of leftist 
faith for them now. But for the rest of us who are trying to operate in the real world, what you will see is the very senior officials that, and it's beyond just Democrats and leftists. It's all. It's really also the establishment, people that had been at the top reaches of the federal bureaucracy for a long time and think that they're the kind of praetorian guard of the republic. You know, But the way they do that is by putting their thumb on the scale when need be to make sure a threat like Donald Trump can't get elected by the American people. What you'll see is a pretextual pretextual decision making you know the equivalent of as i as i've told you if somebody walks walked into my office when i was in the cia and said i know where bin laden is he's hiding under my bed my my first instinct would not have been to say we need to get a workup on this guy we need to you know i mean assuming that this happened to me in you know the dc area and the guy's clearly crazy you know this isn't like overseas somewhere where maybe this is true uh but my, my first instinct wouldn't be to say, we need to tap his phone. We need to bring in all of his relatives. My first instinct would be, we need to get this guy some help. Not too unlike this circumstance when somebody has a dossier that's completely unsourced and unvetted and just, or I should say unvetted. They'll say, well, there, of course there are sources, but single sourced in so many different ways. And who knows how good the sources are. And that they would base major investigative steps on the dossier. I could write a dossier right now about anyone and send it in the FBI and say, well, this is what I heard, but I can't tell you who my sources are. If they, well, what if I did that about Hillary Clinton? I said, I've got a dossier on Hillary Clinton. Turns out I wrote all this crazy stuff down and I say that someone told me, but I can't tell you FBI because those are my sources. And if the FBI then started wiretapping Hillary Clinton or going after her top aides, would people think that that was okay? Oh, well, the FBI, they had a dossier. That is the level of stupidity that we are talking about here from some of the most powerful people in the government under the Obama administration. And what's even more galling is they expect you to swallow that nonsense. They expect you to say, oh, yeah, that seems normal to me. That seems fair. This is going to have them running scared. I'm telling you, this, this is, it is the biggest political scandal of my lifetime. Many others have said it. It is true. Um, we've got more. Can we not this, make this you know, a political on either side? Because like you said, this was something that was overwhelmingly yeah. reported on both yeah. sides. Yeah. She's an American icon. who is. Yes. This is not a Republican the, problem. This is no. Trump. If we can't People come together on a woman train. like this, yeah. and I think that for him and for the administration, as you said, which is, is, is halting this for reasons I don't understand, it would be a way to unite the country and celebrate something good. So I don't understand why, for that reason alone, well, we can't put it aside. Do you think it could yeah. be a dog whistle to his base? Yeah. I, I don't understand I it. Think I think so. It's, I don't know. I think I, so. I don't know. If you do racist things and say racist things, the question of whether that makes you a racist is almost academic. Uh, the problem with the president is that he does and says racist things and gives cover to other racists. I mean, it's not an accident that uh, hate crimes rose disproportionately in places that his campaign visited. Uh, and um, uh, there, there's no question, mean, without having to examine his heart, uh, there's no question that we have to respond to the racism that is emanating from this White House. Oh, Trump is so racist, 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 they say. That's that's what they're telling us all the time. I mean, they're, and we'll, we'll talk more about later in the show how ri- ridiculous this claim is that 
you know, Trump, there's a delay in putting Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill because of racism. But let, let, let's put stop that for a moment. We'll get to that later in the show. Uh, something that we can look forward to in our discussions later on. Uh, but there you had Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who's saying the same thing. It's just, you know, Trump is just so racist. This is what we're always told. Meanwhile, didn't get a lot of attention, but there's an academic study out this week. I, you know, I don't know how, you know, how much uh, you can take this to the bank or not, but it, it's out there. Um, there's an academic study that shows that uh, the country is now considered less racist that people have less of a racist attitude um, about things in this country during the Trump presidency. Uh, that, that race relations, basically this is the first time you will, you will see anything out there about how the country is becoming less racist under the president that we're always told it's a racist. Now, the way that the libs are already positioning themselves on this, sorry, this is university, I was trying to find the studies I was talking uh, University of Pennsylvania sociologists who have uh, said that, quote, contrary to mainstream reporting, America is less racist under President Donald Trump than more racist. Sociologists Donald J. Hopkins and Samantha Washington gathered a randomly selected panel of 2,500 Americans whose changing opinions have been under study since 2008. The two expected to hear an increase in prejudicial remarks. This is from Red State. Uh especially from the Republicans in their group. However, they found the following, quote, the study found the opposite. Americans uh, have actually become less inclined to express racist opinions since Donald Trump was elected. Anti-black prejudice, they found, declined by a significantly, uh, significantly statistically insignificant degree uh, between 2012 and 2016 when Trump was elected. But then after... Wait, between 2012 and 20, that's that's wrong. But then after 20, the, the date there is wrong. Sorry about that, guys. But then after 2016, it took a sharp dive that was statistically significant. They meant when Obama was elected, 2012 and 2016. Moreover, contrary to their expectations, the fall was as evident among Republican voters as it was among Democrats. There was also a general fall in anti-Hispanic prejudice, too, although this was more evident among Democrat voters. Ah... Yep, folks, here we are. Here we are. Dealing with numbers, not not the perceptions of people in the media, not the not folks who have a, a very clear and, and vested agenda in the continuation of the narrative that Donald Trump makes everything so much worse and so much more racist and everything else. Here they actually looked at it. Sociologists which tend to be tends to be full of leftists as a academic discipline. They looked at what's going on in the country, and what did they find? They found that the country is, at least according to the sample size, getting less racist with Donald Trump as president. What are we to take away from that? Now, the libs are going to say that this is because Trump has held the mirror up to racism in a way that people see how repugnant it is, and therefore they're you know, less okay with sharing their own, you know? They can try to dance around this as much as they want. At the end, at the end of this discussion, what you take away from it is at least here's one study that's saying the country is is in a way less racist than it was before, or racial attitudes have become less prejudiced, which is a great thing, by the way. I mean, one of the problems I think that conservatives run into when we talk about race is that we we truly we truly are not racist, and we're called racist for our policies all the time, but we 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 aren't in our hearts in any way prejudiced against people based upon skin color or creed. And, and we know that that's 
in direct contradiction to the core tenets of conservative belief, which is the dignity of the individual and moral agency and uh, an individual freedom and liberty. I mean, you, you can't have these things if you're judging people by their skin color. You know, you are in a state of self-contradiction if you think that individual dignity, worth or you know, legal rights can in any way change or should change based upon someone's skin color. So racism is anti-conservative. So it's not surprising at all that when you have a Republican administration, at least from my perspective, you would see a decline in racist attitudes. But the media is like, whoa, what's going on here? This is crazy. This can't be happening. Trump is the most racist, racist president ever. This is what they this is what they've been told. This is what they tell themselves. Turns out that the data we prefer data or data. The data goes in the other direction. We'll talk about some immigration stuff. Pelosi. I've got some fantastic guests that'll be joining in the third hour. Uh, we're going to discuss a possible a, a pardon request from the sister of a soldier currently imprisoned uh, for what what his family says is a crime he did not commit. We'll also be joined by someone from the RNC just to give us a little bit of an update on election stuff. That and more coming up, team. Can we not this, make this her know, political on either side? Because like you said, this was something that was overwhelmingly yeah. reported on both yeah. sides. Yeah. She's an American icon. who is. Yes. This is not a Republican that. problem. This is no. Trump. If we can't People come together on a woman train. like this, yeah. and I think that for him and for the administration, as you said, which is, is, is halting this for reasons I don't understand, it would be a way to unite the country and celebrate something good. So I don't understand why, for that reason alone, well, we can't put it aside. Do you think it could yeah. be a dog whistle to his base? I, yeah. I don't understand I it. Think I, think so. it's, I, don't I think so. I don't know. I think so. If you do racist things and say racist things, the question of whether that makes you a racist is almost academic. Uh, the problem with the president is that he does and says racist things and gives cover to other racists. I mean, it's not an accident that uh, hate crimes rose disproportionately in places that his campaign visited. Uh, and um, uh, there, there's no question, mean, without having to examine his heart, uh, there's no question that we have to respond to the racism that is emanating from this White House. Oh, Trump is so racist, 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 they say. That's that's what they're telling us all the time. I mean, they're, and we'll, we'll talk more about later in the show how ri- ridiculous this claim is that, you know, Trump, there's a delay in putting Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill because of racism. But let, let, let's put, stop that for a moment. We'll get to that later in the show, uh, something that we can look forward to in our discussions later on. Um, but there you have Mayor Pete Buttigieg who's saying the same thing. It's just, you know, Trump is just so racist. This is what we're always told. Meanwhile, didn't get a lot of attention, but there's an academic study out this week. I, you know, I don't know how, you know, how much uh, you can take this to the bank or not, but it, it's out there. Um, there's an academic study that shows that uh, the country is now considered less racist, that people have less of a racist attitude um, about things in this country during the Trump presidency. Uh, that that race relations basically this is the first time you will you will see anything out there about how the country is becoming less racist under the president that we're always told it's a racist now the way that the libs are already positioning themselves on this sorry this is university i was trying to find the studies i was talking uh university of pennsylvania sociologists who have 
said that, quote, contrary to mainstream reporting, America is less racist under President Donald Trump than more racist. Sociologists Donald J. Hopkins and Samantha Washington gathered a randomly selected panel of 2,500 Americans whose changing opinions have been under study since 2008. The two expected to hear an increase in prejudicial remarks. This is from Red State, uh, especially from the Republicans in their group. However, they found the following, quote, the study found the opposite. Americans uh, have actually become less inclined to express racist opinions since Donald Trump was elected. Anti-black prejudice they found declined by a significantly, uh, significantly statistically insignificant degree uh, between 2012 and 2016 when Trump was elected. But then after, wait, between 2012 and 20, that's that's wrong. But then after 20, the, the date there is wrong. Sorry about that, guys. But then after 2016, it took a sharp dive that was statistically significant. They meant when Obama was elected, 2012 and 2016. Moreover, contrary to their expectations, the fall was as evident among Republican voters as it was among Democrats. There was also a general fall in anti-Hispanic prejudice, too, although this was more evident among Democrat voters. Ah. Yep. Folks, here we are. Here we are. Dealing with numbers, not not the perceptions of people in the media, not the not folks who have a a very clear and, and vested agenda in the continuation of the narrative that Donald Trump makes everything so much worse and so much more racist and everything else. Here they actually looked at it. Sociologists which tend to be tends to be full of leftists as a academic discipline. They looked at what's going on in the country and what did they find? They found that. The country is, at least according to the sample size, getting less racist with Donald Trump as president. What are we to take away from that? Now, the libs are going to say that this is because Trump has held the mirror up to racism in a way that people see how repugnant it is. And therefore, they're you know less OK with sharing their own. You know. They can try to dance around this as much as they want it at the end at the end of this discussion. What you take away from it, it is at least here's one study that's saying. The country is, is in a way less racist than it was before. Or racial attitudes have become less prejudiced, which is a great thing, by the way. I mean, one of the problems I think that conservatives run into when we talk about race is that we, we truly we truly are not racist and we're called racist for our policies all the time. But we, we, we aren't in our hearts in any way prejudiced against people based upon skin color or creed. And, and we know that that's in direct contradiction to the core tenets of conservative belief, which is the dignity of the individual and moral agency and uh, an individual freedom and liberty. I mean, you, you can't have these things if you're judging people by their skin color. You know, you are in a state of self-contradiction if you think that individual dignity, worth or you know, legal rights can in any way change or should change based upon someone's skin color. So racism is anti-conservative. So it's not surprising at all that when you have a Republican administration, at least from my perspective, you would see a decline in racist attitudes. But the media is like, whoa, what's going on here? This is crazy. This can't be happening. Trump is the most racist, racist president ever. This is what they this is what they've been told. This is what they tell themselves. Turns out that the data, do we prefer data or data. The data goes the other direction. We talk about some immigration stuff. Pelosi, I've got some fantastic guests that'll be joining in the third hour. Uh, we're going to discuss a possible a, a pardon request from a sister of a soldier currently imprisoned uh, for what what his family says is a crime he did not commit. We'll also be joined by someone from the RNC to give us a little bit of an update on election stuff. 
That and more coming up, team. Are you worried that these investigations are hurting your re-election chances? If I, I don't know. My poll numbers are very good. You don't like the reporter, but my poll, I guess we have a 48 today. We have a 51. We have very good poll numbers considering. Now, I have to tell you, if you people would give straight news, I'd be at 70. I'd be maybe at 75. But you don't give straight news. You give fake news. With fake news, I'm still winning the election. But if you gave serious good news the way you're supposed to, I'd probably be at 70 or 75 based on the economy alone. I mean, I think Trump has a point here. I wouldn't be at 70 or 75 because you got too many lunatic Democrats who just won't change. It doesn't matter what doesn't matter what Trump does. Trump could wake up tomorrow, walk to the podium in front of the American people, say, I have cured cancer single handedly. The uh, stock market has doubled and all of our enemy states have agreed to have elections next month that will be fully democratic and transparent. And they all want to be just like America. I mean, it, conjure up your dream scenario for what the world looks like tomorrow or next month or next year. And if Trump got us there, you would still have about 40 to 45 percent of the country that's like, no. I hate Trump. Trump is terrible. He's a racist. I don't like him. Wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter what he did. You know, I've said this before to you. I I was cheering for Barack Obama the day that the bin Laden raid was a success. I was like, you know, he's my commander in chief, too. He gave the order. I know we could get into the they waited and but he gave the order. He gets the credit, folks. That's just that's the truth. Okay, he, he, you know, maybe Hillary was the one who really wanted to give the order. I, you know, there are just because Obama did it didn't make it bad, right? Just because Obama did something didn't mean that I thought that that was the wrong move. I thought he made a lot of wrong moves, but not everything was wrong. Not everything he does is bad. There are so many people who take that perspective about Trump, and that is largely a function of the 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 media propagating this narrative every day and every way that they can that Trump is literally worse than Hitler. I mean, if, if you hear that enough, I think it starts to seep into your brain. You start to reach this point where you, you figure, you know, there must be something terrible about this guy. I mean, there are, there are adults that seem like they're, they're functional human beings that have completely lost their minds over. I mean, there must be something to this. They can't be that crazy with no reason. Oh, no. Oh, no, they are that crazy for no reason whatsoever. Um, this, is, this is where we are, folks. That, that, that Trump is polling as well as he does. You know, look, he's a salesman. He's got a little, he's a little braggadocious, little braggadocio. He's, I don't know why I got Italian with that one, but I guess I think it does come from it. It looks Italian the word hey who is the braggadocio uh he's a guy though who's got plenty of swagger no question and he likes to he, he pushes it a little bit on the numbers and on the estimates that said that all said um i do think that the trumpster has been able and i say the trumpster with affection um the trumpster has been able to keep a solid number even from the polls that are the most negative toward him because the economy is as, is as good as it is. Could you imagine if we were in the midst of a recession? 
Could you imagine if what they said about Trump starting a war with North Korea or a trade war with China that would cripple the stock market and destroy housing prices? And if any of that were true, where would we be then? No, the opposite of all that has been true. And yet they still act like Trump is the is the apocalypse. Uh, man, they, they really the the dishonesty at work uh, with the media. Trump Trump knows it, though, and he's right. Anyway, I, I want to do. A, well, ultimately, he understands that they're just they have not yet gotten over. And they I, I shouldn't say they have not yet gotten over. They will never get over this. They will never get over that Trump won in 2016. It's, ne- it's never going to happen. There will not be a day here when we uh, can look at the media and they'll say, you know what, we've finally come around on this. We understand that our, our positions in the past were rooted in a kind of irrational animus, and we're not, we're not going to do that anymore. We're, we're, we're going to give the president his due on all of this. We're going to make sure that President Trump is treated fairly by the press. You know, would you even know how to how to react if that were the case? I, I would think that something bizarre had happened and maybe the apocalypse was nigh. I mean, the media is so biased. Uh, later on, I'll talk to you about I, I got quoted. I know I'm kicking some sand in the faces of people over at CNN, but they, they deserve it. I got quoted in a mediaite, which is really only read, I think. It's kind of a trade journal online for media people. But I got quoted about about CNN today. And look, I'm just telling the truth. I'm just telling the truth. I'm because I'm, I'm keeping it real. Because I'm keeping it real. It's what I do. It is what I do. By the way, Mark, do you have Trump saying they're never going to get over the uh, the election? Please do. What do you hope to accomplish with your personal attacks on the speaker? You're saying Excuse me. This just shows how fake you and the news are. When you say when you say a personal attack. Did you hear what she said about me long before I went after her? Did you hear? She made horrible statements. She knows they're not true. She made, she said terrible things. So I just responded in kind. Look, you think Nancy's the same as she was? She's not. Maybe we could all say that. But I think, I think, frankly, I think right now we are, I'm only speaking for myself. I want to do what's good for the country. I think Nancy Pelosi is not helping this country. I think the Democrats are obstructionists. They're hurting our country very, very badly. They are hurting the country with all this lawfare against the president. But don't you like how, you know, Trump is once again, he sees this for what it is. You got a bunch of, of uh, you know, lib reporters here, which is basically all, almost all reporters, who are asking him about why he's being mean to Pelosi. Pelosi is calling him a criminal. Are they going to ask, have you seen a single reporter ask Nancy Pelosi if she thinks it is beneath the dignity of her office to not just insinuate, to outright accuse the president of criminal conduct, to suggest the president is mentally unfit for office, to continue to preside over this machinery of lies about Russia collusion and obstruction and all this stuff. I mean, if we had an honest press corps, wouldn't they ask that question at some point? Wouldn't that happen? Nope. Doesn't seem to happen. They, they, no, they're activists, folks. They're activists posing as journalists. Journalism has been destroyed. These people have corrupted it beyond recognition. They might as well all just walk around with little DNC stickers on their chest. That's what they do. 
That's how they see themselves at the end of the day when all said and done. They say otherwise, but they know that they're playing for a team. They know that they're engaged in pushing an agenda. And it's just, you know, some of us, have we've had enough of it. I think I'm sick of all the crap from these journos. How about that? I think Trump's sick of it, too. <sighs> so, I, I really do. It, does, it, it, it gets me fired up, all right? It gets me gets me a bit fired up. What can I tell you? Um, oh, speaking of Democrats and, and crazy things that they say. Well, we got a lot when it comes to Democrats and crazy things. We have to hit a quick break here. We'll be back. This is the third time I've been in a leadership role during a, a migration surge at the border of families and children, uh, both in 2014 and 2016 at the end of the last administration. We have more than doubled those two crises combined in the first seven months of this year, and we are still in the middle uh, of that effort. Well, even though we've provided solutions to Congress, we're not going to just wait for them to act. Uh, I'm going on Monday to Guatemala. I want to take this fight to the cartels that are smuggling children, starting at the Guatemala-Honduran border. Uh, we're bringing HSI agents, CBP officers, Border Patrol agents to embed with the Guatemalan forces uh, and try to interdict this flow at the beginning. We're working with the government of Mexico on the same thing, sharing intel on the people profiting from human misery. We can't allow that to go on anymore. And then the steps we're taking at the border, try to get judges down there to adjudicate hearings more quickly get people repatriated and change this dynamic. I like what I'm seeing from this guy, Kevin McAleen, and over at, at DHS. He's He seems like a no-nonsense, no-nonsense dude. And it seems like he's taking the reins on this and deciding to to tackle the problem of the board. I mean, you heard that. He's saying, we're, we're already beyond what were considered previous crises. And the media would admit then that they were, uh, you know, a cri- they were crises. Because remember... A crisis under, when it comes to immigration, a crisis under a a Democrat president is always an excuse for a conversation about amnesty. A crisis under Republican administration turns into something else because Republicans say, hold on a second, we need to stop these people from coming in. Well, we need to take take a different approach. Uh, from the executive branch. Remember, Obama, there were crises that happened at the border of these unaccompanied minors, these surges. And what was the Obama administration response? DACA. And what came after DACA? DAPA. Not just deferred action for childhood arrivals, but deferred action for the parents of childhood arrivals. You know what was going to come after that? Uh, DAGPA for deferred action for grandparents of arrivals, right? D-A-G-P-A. I mean, you know, or, or for the aunts and uncles of arrivals. Da, uh, two A's there. Aunt, uncle, you know, whatever. It is going to be all these different versions of the same thing, which is just a rolling system of amnesty. That's all it was. That was the whole big trick under the Obama years when dealing with the border, when talking about the borders, that everything just immediately became a conversation about how quickly we could get to amnesty. Uh, but under this president, we, we at least can discuss that there's a downside to this. Remember, that's that's where the leftists completely fall apart in immigration. They do not accept that there's any downside to illegal immigration. And that's where we're focused here on illegal immigration. They do not accept it. There's nothing about illegal immigration that's bad. They just want to control it a little better. They just want more of a sense of who's coming across the border, scamming our system, staying in this country, accessing federal benefits. And, you know, before we had that, uh, we had Trump talking about how 
high he thinks his numbers would be if he, you know, didn't have the press corps completely against him, if he wasn't in a position where everybody around him in the in the media was just on it on a crusade or perhaps a jihad to take him down. You know, if that wasn't the case, what would public perception of his presidency be? You know, would he be well above 50% in, in the polls? I mean, here's a perfect example. When he accuses them of being fake news, uh, there, there's a lot of reason to believe that he's, he's correct on that. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff you can point to that shows that, yeah, in fact, the president is, is the, the target of, of fake news. I mean, here's a, here's a, a perfect case in point on calling uh, MS, remember, he called MS-13 members animals. And the, the media, for, they, they lie about this, in one of, or, or they, they approach this in one of two ways. One is they say that President Trump referred to Mexican immigrants or, or just immigrants from south of the border as animals, which is just a lie. A capital L-I-E lie. Doesn't mean they haven't told it. They've said it. Beto O'Rourke, until very recently, was still saying, and he hasn't taken it back. He just, he's been saying that publicly. But he's been lying his face off about this. But then the media also takes this, in some ways, even more position. It's one thing to lie about what the president says. It's another thing to take a position that you think, they can't really believe that. And there's this, Oh, we shouldn't be so mean about MS-13, a gang rape, control, kill, or is it rape, tor- you know, rape, control, torture? I can't even remember now. You know, that, that's its motto. And they are fond of hacking off people's limbs. And it was founded with an eye to devil worship. All right, that's where, that's what the, the origins of the group are, are rooted in. I've talked to you about that before. And... Now we're being told things like this is how some of the media talks about MS-13. Play 14. He basically seems to assume that everybody is part of MS-13. Very strange to hear a president of the United States speak in such dehumanizing terms. Is it appropriate for a president to ever call anyone an animal, even if they are sadistic gang members? Yeah, I, I think that's something to watch out for. The history of political leaders dehumanizing opponents, even criminals, and using animal metaphors is a dangerous one. That is not something that we should accept from an American president. I do think there's a serious problem with the president dehumanizing any group of people in the United States, even if they are hardened criminals. Is it, uh, is it okay, even if they're uh, sadistic gang members, to call them animals? Brian Stelzer wants to know. You know, I think we got bigger problems. Uh, we got bigger problems than that. And also, the, I didn't even know who that was at the beginning of that. I think those were all CNN commentators there at, at the beginning of that little montage. But the person who says that he calls them all animals, or he indicates that, oh, sorry, that, that he calls everybody a member of MS-13, I mean, that's just a lie. He obviously doesn't do that. He's never done that. But you see, this is where the Democrat media has a problem, especially on a week like this when you have two people who were arrested, supposed to be deported, two teenagers, members of MS-13, and brutally murdered a young girl. You know, there are bodies that pile up as a result of the bleeding heart lib approach to dealing with illegal immigration. There are bodies as a result of this. I mean, and they should be forced to answer for this. Their policies have led to this. They just pretend that this is not the case. 
They they act like this this does not happen at all. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I saw Tucker's show on Fox earlier this week, and he played that montage, and he said, you'll look back at this and say, there's no way that this could really have been real. There's no way that this could be what really would really happen. Um, there there are, in fact, people, and Vox did this whole splainer on how MS-13, they're just like you and me. Yeah, MS-13, you know, they're just like the, the, the kid next door, you know, get but they get mixed up in some bad things. No, I'm sorry. I mean, if you're joining a gang that is has built its entire reputation on horrific and sadistic brutality and murder, you know, you should have to answer for that in reputation as well as in the criminal justice system. But they they just they have this. It's the same loop from them. What do you hear from Democrats on what on, on how to solve the border crisis? Nothing. All you hear from them is family separation and Trump is mean about immigrants. What do they want their policy to be? How would they like to fix it? See, here's the thing. They don't think of it as fixable or needing a fix. They think that the situation right now is completely sustainable. In fact, the situation right now is preferable in many ways to a secure border. It benefits them politically. It does all kinds of things for the Democrats that over the long term they like. They see it as votes. They see it as building the ranks of identity politics. They see it as the necessary enlarging of the state in order to administer to these new illegals who have crossed in the country, who in an increasingly information-based economy are not going to be able to compete. We know this. Uh, But it's all slogans. It's all chants. It's all like the people that I come across here in the fancy precincts of L.A. who don't want to deal with the reality. They just want everyone to think that they're they're really caring and really like totally smart. We'll be right back. We now have uh, a list of the numbers of children that have died in custody. Um, We should all be outraged. The evidence um, is really clear that this is intentional. It's intentional. It's a policy choice being made on purpose by this administration. Why do people think this administration is intentionally harming children? Look at all the lies. Look at the harm done to children. The administration, they say, bunch of libs there claiming the administration is intentionally hurting kids. And some even go as far as to say publicly, elected officials, Democrats, that the administration is hoping that children die as a result of the border policy. Uh, you even had, you, you, you've you had so many libs. I mean, this is one of the, the great areas of virtue signaling, because who's going to argue, this is, this is the way the libs like to frame any debate. You want to have a gun control discussion? You don't care about the dead kids that get shot. You want to have a border discussion? You don't care that kids go into custody. Keep in mind, they're not dying after five or ten days in custody. They're dying within 48 hours in custody because when they come to the border, by the time they get to the border, hundreds of thousands of people we're talking about here. In any population of hundreds of thousands, you will have individuals, just as a function of numbers, who have a serious illness. And young children who are being forced to travel under difficult circumstances, uh, under dangerous circumstances, and who show up at our southern border and who just by virtue of the resources at the border and the 
overwhelmed Border Patrol can't get medical attention, don't get medical attention within necessarily the first hour of showing up at the border, they have a fever, they die. That's what is that's what has happened. I mean, this is the situation at the border. And I've spoken to Border Patrol about this. I mean, they feel terribly that any kids have lost their lives. There's absolutely no sense whatsoever that you get from talking to the men and women of Border Patrol that there's anything other than sympathy for the individuals who show up with kids. But they also are law enforcement officers, and they have a job that they have to do. They are not the Red Cross. They're not there standing in front of tents waiting to give everybody medical care. And you know, you have to ask at some point, you should ask the Democrats, is that what should happen? Is that what their, is that what their preference is? That we just tell everybody, come here, free medical care, and you get to stay. If that's not open borders, what is open borders? You know, Mika Brzezinski's running around on her show, which, I mean, Joe Scarborough, does he still call himself a conservative? I mean, the guy's policy agenda right now is identical to, who's that guy who, uh, you, you know, the worst person in the world, uh, the biggest clown to have ever been on MSNBC, which is saying a lot, by the way, Olbermann. I mean, Olbermann and Joe Scarborough seem to have pretty much the same political outlook. But, but Scarborough is a conservative over at, at MSNBC. So Mika's all hysterical about this. And because it, it's so easy to stand there and say, I'm the one who cares about dead children, and the Trump administration doesn't care, and they're so mean and terrible. Kevin McAleenan is like, look, what they're saying is just not true. We, we're not trying to punish kids and families at the border. It's not happening. Play clip 13. happening uh we're, we're separating children in maybe one case a day out of the t- three thousand families arriving it's very rare it's for the safety of the child prosecution for a serious criminal offense it's a threat uh to the child it's a communicable disease or it's someone who's presenting a family relationship that doesn't exist that's when that happens for that not to be the case let's be very clear what they're talking about here is the rare cases now there is still family separation that can occur at the border and that's why the libs are, the, the, the libs want to tap uh, tap right back into that because over the summer they were able to seize the moral high ground at least in terms of the media battle by saying oh the family separation is terrible and they're separating children it's so horrible and it's awful and it skipped they skipped right past the discussion of okay well, what do we do about the border they got no answers on that they just want to tell us how terrible the family separation policy is now they want to go back to that well because one or two people a day, children are being separated from their families. But as, as it's being pointed out, it's because there's either a serious disease and they're trying to save somebody or there's a serious threat to the child. You know, for that not to be the case, you would have to have a special set of accountability, a special law in place, because an American citizen, people that are supposed to be in this country and supposed to be able to count on federal services when needed, an American citizen who posed a threat to a child can, can be separated from that child. It happens every day. Americans who are, you know, caught drunk driving and have a kid in the back seat separated from their kid happens every day. So what's the what's the desire here of the of the left? What do they want to happen? Do, do they want do they want the situation to be that? Even if the uh, adult that is accompanying the child, and remember I told you about that story 
um, a few days ago where a pilot program that suggests 30% of the children that are showing up with, with a, a different illegals are not actually their kids. One in three, that's a lot. That means we got tens of thousands of kids who are being either recycled or being abused or being... Now, I'm not saying that that study is flawless and that that's... But that's an indicator reported on by the Washington Examiner. I mean, it's a real thing that's out there. But are, are we now going to have a situation where the... Uh, the the government, our government, is going to say, okay, we're worried that this child may be part of a human trafficking scheme and could be sold into a kind of slavery. I mean, you know, horrible things happen to kids in the hands of the cartels. And we're not, we're, we're going to tell Border Patrol and, and Immigration Customs Force, no, no, you can't separate this person from, you can't separate this this child from the person who's claiming to be his father or mother or whatever. That's that would be a deeply immoral position. But you'll notice that, that they won't get into the, the leftists who criticize this, who are so upset over it and have all these problems. They will not. They will not get into the details of it because all they want to say is just like with Russia interference in the election. Oh, Russia interfered. Russia interfered. OK, but how much did they interfere? Did it matter? Did the Trump administration have anything to do with it? Oh, Russia interfered. It's just a talking point. Family separation that still occurs at the border. Yes, it is true that there is family separation that still occurs at the border. Why? And when you get to the why, it's very clear that if family separation was not occurring at the border, our border patrol would be derelict in their duty and the federal government would be acting in a clearly immoral fashion. And yet, this is this is where Democrats are on this. They have no answers on immigration. All they have is demagoguery, grandstanding. Oh, we care about the kids. Republicans don't care about the kids. Look, everyone cares about kids, all right? But there's also this problem of having an open border and having the erosion of American sovereignty, you know, which started out like a trickle and is now becoming a tsunami because of the laws and because of the way they're being enforced at our southern border, this is a real problem. This has to be addressed. And it does not get addressed by people who stand around thinking that they're just so morally superior to Border Patrol and law enforcement for doing their job. And now this time, another temper tantrum. Uh, um, Again, I pray for the president of the United States. I wish that his family or his administration or his staff would have an intervention for the good of the country. And I do think that impeachment is a very divisive place to go in our country. And what we can get the facts to the American people through our investigation, it may take us to a place that is unavoidable in terms of impeachment. The White House is just crying out for impeachment. That's why he flipped yesterday. This is not behavior that is uh, uh, rises to the dignity of the office of president of the United States. What is going on with Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, third in line for the presidency, everybody? That's right. Got to remember that as we talk about this. The president's calling her crazy Nancy. Got some things to say about her. Well, is this indicative of the Democrats in disarray? We've got Liz Harrington joining us now. She's the RNC's national spokesperson. She's got to tell us what she thinks about this early stage going into 2020 and also impeachment, all that good stuff. Liz, thanks for making the time before the long weekend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's let's start, shall we, with with impeachment to impeach or not to impeach. I can't seem to figure out if Democrats 
are sure that Trump should have been impeached 100 times over or if they're not sure and they're in kind of wait and see mode because they apparently change their mind every few hours. Right. And Nancy Pelosi's behavior, quite frankly, is beneath the dignity of uh, what the Speaker of the House should be, should be doing. And right now she's trying to have it both ways and trying to appease her really rabid radical base that's been dying for impeachment from day one. Uh, we know Rashida Tlaib, what she famously said after she won her election, um, which was also beneath the dignity of behavior of uh, Congress people. But neither here nor there. They want impeachment. She has a radical left-wing base that she's dealing with. So she's trying to uh, appease them on the one hand and throw them an impeachment bone, and then on the other, uh, go over to the White House and say, oh, yeah, that's just nonsense. Let's make a deal on infrastructure. That's not how it works. You can't accuse the president, again, of a baseless crime, saying he's covering up uh, a non-existent collusion, however that works. You can't go in the front door after laying down that bomb and then expect to work together. They're not interested in working uh, for the American people. If they were, they wouldn't have dismissed the immigration plan that was laid out just a week ago before they even read it. So. She, I don't, I don't think she quite knows what to do or how to handle her caucus right now. That's why she keeps going is very incoherent on the impeachment question. In, incoherent for sure. I think incoherence is the order of the day for Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I, I need, I need a little bit of a of a insight into this one, uh, Liz. If they want to impeach him, why not just impeach him? They have the votes. The Democrats would go along with it. What's with this back and forth? This kind of Im- impeachment footsie they're playing. I think. Nancy Pelosi knows that the reason that the Democrats won the House in 2018 wasn't the the far left base. It was more moderate uh, Democrats. It was more moderate voters who do not want impeachment. And so if she wants to hold on to her speaker's gavel, she knows the American people don't want it. They don't want to talk about Russia anymore. They're sick of it after more than two years when there was no there there. Uh, they don't, the American people don't want it. They want them to work and fix the problem. So that's why I think you're seeing this incoherent conclusion. Like she wants to dangle it out there and have, you know, the, the air of suspicion, but she doesn't want to actually go through with it because that's going to backfire big time on the Democrats because there's no crime. There's nothing there. And I love they're accusing the president of a cover up who just declassified everything. So he wants everything out there. Uh, and yet he's covering up what exactly it, it, it's so yes, incoherent, he, he, but they're grasp they're grasping at anything because they have nothing. They can't win on on the issues. He covers it up by uncovering it. Apparently, this is this yeah. is what we've come to with the with the Democratic Party. We're speaking to Liz Harrington, RNC's a national spokesperson. Liz, how how are you guys feeling right now about your your chances? Against the uh, the the whoever the Democrat whomever the Democrat contender may be when when uh, when it all is said and done how, how are you guys feeling about the the race right now I know it's very early stage but what dynamics are you seeing play out that are either favorable or challenging or what Sure um, we're very optimistic we're feeling very good because the country is feeling good we just had uh, record numbers of of optimism again in the country at over seventy one percent or or feel good about the economy, and that's incredible news. And it's because of the policies of this administration and a strong Republican agenda 
put forward by the president. And we've seen the effects in ever in your daily life with the tax cuts and the deregulation. We've got the economy actually booming again. Wages are rising, unemployment at historic lows. So we're really proud of the record. We think it's a strong one, a continued Every promise the president has really brought up in 2016, he's delivering on. And in the ones that we're still working on, like the border, is because the Democrats refuse to come to the table. So we're we're looking very good right now. We're we're very excited about the record we now have to run on. It wasn't just promises; it was actually results. And any of the Democrats, I mean, so early. Well, what do you think of Mayor Pete? Mayor Pete's making a surge right right. now. He's got, you know, he's a vet. He's got an impressive resume. Is is he one? You know, who worries worries you the most, Liz? I know you're going to say none of them because Trump will win. But if you have to pick one, who's the most concerning right now? Well, I think the concerning thing is the normalization of really radical policies that not only Mayor Pete, but Joe Biden is getting on board with a lot of radical policies as well. They all are. They're talking, they're following the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, which is a lurch towards socialism. So that's what I'm concerned about. Mayor Pete can try to put a nice face on socialism, but it's, it's a devastating political philosophy. And he's endorsed Medicare for all. He's endorsed packing the Supreme Court, getting rid of the Electoral College, which would give no voice to states like New Hampshire and Iowa, all these early battleground states that they're they're having a lot of face time there right now. Well, they would never go there if the Electoral College didn't exist and it was a it was a national popular vote. They are the Green New Deal. All of them. Joe Biden says he wants a climate revolution. I mean, they are talking about radical policies where the government, not you, decides every aspect of your life, what you drive, what you eat. How even They're even telling you not to have kids anymore because of climate change. They're adopting really radical, one-size-fits-all policies that we know don't work, that hinder individual freedom, and would ruin, wreck the economy. I mean, never mind how you pay for it. Every single policy they're proposing Elizabeth Warren, I should say as well, because she's right there with proposing these radical policies. You would have to double taxes, and that still wouldn't pay for Medicare for all, which is really socialized medicine. So that's what's concerning to us. But we think we can make a good contrast to look look at the individual freedom that's been restored just in the past couple of years with more freedom to get a new job. I mean, we have a million more job openings than unemployed people in this country right now. That means you have more economic freedom in your life to move, leave your job and find a better one. It's great. The policies are working to give you more freedom, more money in your pocket, and we're going to continue that progress. We don't want to go down the leftist path that the Democrat Party uh, wants to take us down. All right, Liz Harrington, everybody, RNC national spokesperson, hearing from the HQ there in D.C. Liz, have a uh, fantastic holiday weekend, and thank you so much for joining. You too. Happy Memorial Day. All right, team, we got so much more coming your way. Uh, Please stick around because the show is just getting going. Team, there's been a lot of talk this week from people around the president, and and there's been some reason to believe from the president himself. There's a consideration of pardons uh, for some former military, U.S. military members who are accused of crimes, in some cases convicted of what are classified as war crimes. Uh, We now have the sister 
of one of those individuals right now, and she wants to tell us the story of Nick Slatten. We have Jessica Slatten, his sister on right now, but Nick was 82nd Airborne, uh, deployed twice to Iraq, and then got caught up in a very deadly incident years later, and is currently uh, convicted on on numerous counts as a result. Uh, Jessica, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Buck, and and letting me have the opportunity to talk some about my brother, Nick, and and why he's such a prime candidate for a presidential party. And the bottom line is, as a proud American, I agree with those around the country who are speaking out to say they're prosecuting veterans for split-second decisions in war zone incidents to further political agendas is wrong. But as a sister of a wrongly convicted, innocent combat veteran, who is sitting in a cell right now and may die in prison for someone else's shot during one of those war zone engagements, I really want to dispel some of the some of the false statements that are out there in the media about my brother. So I really thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that today. Well, well please, um, people may not remember this, but uh, I, this was in Baghdad. Was this the Mansour traffic circle incident? Nisar Square, yes. So basically, Nisar Square, started, sorry. Yeah, Nisar Square. Where it started out was... Um, a car bomb blew up in the red zone where a U.S. diplomat was unseen. Nick and his team went to the traffic circle in the Sur Square to lock that down to help that um, diplomat get back to safety. And when that happened, a white Kia came out of stop traffic and headed toward the convoy. And one of Nick's teammates made the decision to um, shoot and stop that threat. Um, and he did that because he feared it was a secondary car bomb attack. And my brother, and then that person who, my brother's teammate who did this, confessed four times to doing it. All of the eyewitnesses to the shooting say that it was my brother's teammate. The physical evidence that exists is consistent with the fact that it was my brother's teammate. We know from trajectory analyses that it would have been impossible for my brother to make the shot, and yet my brother was wrongly prosecuted and convicted for killing that person. And so Nick is an innocent man sitting in prison today for shots that were not his. And it, another thing that's so incredulous about this is the stuff that isn't out there in the media, which is all the stuff I just said, plus the fact that when the FBI asked the driver's father to travel to the United States to testify against my brother, that man refused. He told the FBI that American agents had told him that Nick's teammate, the one who confessed, had killed his son, and that changing the charge to Nick was dishonest. Not only that, my brother has been completely honest throughout this process. He even passed a polygraph by a former FBI examiner that included that concluded Nick was truthful when he denied shooting the driver. So I don't know how we are possibly here today, but we are. Now, wasn't there also a, a decision made to prosecute your brother based on the usage of an automatic weapon as an enhancement to the crime, which the statute, as I understand it, is there so that if you are, you know, a, a gangbanger in, in the States or, you know, if you're engaged in organized crime or something and use an automatic weapon, they can have an enhancement. But your brother was given the automatic weapon by the United States government as a, and, and was serving as a contractor for it. So that's actually a charge that was levied against the other men who were charged and convicted in connection with the shooting, not my brother. The government did not. His charge is only with respect to the driver of the Kia who he did not shoot or kill. But you're absolutely right that three other men were charged. They were convicted 
of that, and um, you know, which is and they were, but the way, but they were also government contractors given their yeah, weapons exactly. by the United States exactly. government, and then they were additionally charged for using those automatic weapons in the commission of this crime. Yes, exactly, which is outrageous because those were the weapons that our government gave them, told them to use. They used them, and all of those men, you know, did what they thought was right under the circumstances, um, and they used the weapons that the government had provided them to do their jobs. I mean, I think everybody needs to remember, these guys were out there responding after a car bomb exploded. So we're not talking about, you know, they were out there doing their jobs protecting diplomats. Yes. Now, Jessica, from what you've told me, it sounds like how could it be possible that if somebody else has already stated on the record and under oath numerous times, another member of the team that your brother, Nick, uh, Nick was with, that how, how could he still be in prison for this? It seems impossible to people that that could be the case, given the system that we'd like to believe is more competent than that. So, I mean, what do the prosecutors say about this? Do they just believe that the other guy's lying? Well, they can't point to a single case ever this is unprecedented. They can't point to a single case ever where they have prosecuted a citizen for first-degree murder when someone else confessed to the killing, and there's so much evidence that this other person did it. So, I mean, they what they are is embarrassed. They were unable to prosecute my brother for lesser charges and then um, vindictively prosecuted him for murder. So he couldn't come into court and say what he actually did out there that day, which was shoot someone who was taking aim at the convoy, completely different person. The Department of State went out and found enemy shell casings in the precise location where Nick had told the teammates that that happened. So they couldn't see what they needed to do was paint this case as black or white. They needed to say this was a good shoot or it was a bad shoot. Nick is someone who can come in and give evidence that it's a good shoot. And so what they decided to say was, well, our theory is anyone who shot out there that day basically committed um, excessive force, essentially. And then they dropped Nick from the case many, many years ago because the evidence was weak that he did anything wrong because obviously what he was doing was, you know, his job. He fired two shots during an engagement when hundreds of rounds were fired. And then later during the Obama administration, when they tried to put Nick back in the case after Joe Biden went to Iraq and promised them that they would pursue the case, the statute of limitations had run. The prosecutors had to be told by the appellate court that you can't prosecute somebody for time bar charges. So then they vindictively charged him with murdering someone they know he didn't even shoot. That's how this happens. And how he gets convicted is he has a civilian jury and the prosecutors are allowed to make Nick's case about everything else that happened and all the other shots that got fired that have nothing to do with Nick. That's how this right. happens. And for everyone listening, I mean, there were a lot of civilians who were killed in the exchange overall. But that, as you point out, is not the result of the shots that your brother fired. That is correct. That is correct. And also, you know, I do want to point out for your listeners that, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't reported in the media, obviously, about this case. And, you know, the one of the things about the count and the number of um, people who were killed or injured in the incident, that was largely created by an Iraqi um, per, uh, official who we now know has suspected ties to terrorist groups. We just got that information disclosed to us during my brother's third trial, second and third trial, which happened last year. And so, you know, it's really sketchy how our government relied on this person to help build their case. Um, He's the one who collected um, the victims, you know, the alleged victims. He collected all that information. He he gave that to the FBI when they finally showed up, like weeks later after this happened. And, you know, we have, there are witnesses who have said, hey, if this guy tells us to go left, we'll go left. If they tell us to go right, we'll go right. 
And, I, you know, it's, it's very sketchy. I'm not denying the fact that, you know, if innocent people were killed and wounded, that's tragic. But that has nothing to do with my brother, number one. But number two, people need to know that there's more, story, more to the story behind that as well and have serious questions about that. What is the current status of your brother? My brother is sitting in a cell in a jail um, after having been wrongfully convicted by a civilian jury last December. And we have post-verdict motions his legal team has filed um, seeking his full acquittal based on a ton of rights violations during his trial or um, and also the fact that the evidence is just legally insufficient to um, support a murder conviction in his case. Or is, a new what, what, what degree of sentence is he currently serving? Oh, he doesn't have a sentence, but he will have a life sentence if the judge doesn't um, grant him a new trial or throw the case out entirely. And we're waiting to see what's going to happen on those motions right now. But, you know, I want to I want to impress that upon the listeners that, you know, my brother may very well die in prison without a political intervention in his case. And because it was such a political prosecution, I think it's a perfect case, a primary case for a political intervention. All right, uh, Jessica, if people want to learn more about this or if they if they want to help, I mean, I, I know you, you want the president to pardon your brother. Uh, is there is there a petition? Is there anything that people that want to get involved in the case should look at? You know, I know our president um, listens um, to the media and also has a, a great presence on Twitter. So I just hope people get out on on Twitter and social media and just like tell him that my brother should be pardoned, um, pardon Nick Slatton, tell him, you know, that this is wrong. Look in his look into Nick's case. I, you know, I want people to look into, I want people to send the message. We want him to look into this case. And we do have every reason to believe that he is. And if he is, I want to thank him on behalf of my entire family. And I want to tell him that we are American patriots like him. And I'm hopeful that he will be the one person in our government to finally say that the truth matters in my brother's case and not let a decorated combat veteran get discarded for politics. My family wants to get back to fighting for the country we love instead of fighting against it. And I hope that he'll help us do that by sending my brother home. Nick Slatton is the former member of 82nd Airborne folks who currently sits in a cell. His sister, Jessica Slatton, tells us he was wrong, uh, wrongfully convicted and is hoping for a pardon from President Trump. Jessica, thank you so much for your time. Uh, the best to you and your family, and I hope you have a blessed Memorial Day weekend. Thank you so much, Buck. You as well. All right, team. We'll be right back. To be honest with you, any changes with paper money are very slow. For mm -hmm. example, in 1913, they started talking about the idea of reducing the size of paper money, which at that time was much bigger than it is today, large size notes, and also changing the designs. And that took from 1913 all the way until 1929. Okay. So, but that was 100 years ago. Uh, oh, indeed. And things are just as slow. But really, like even in today's day and age, it should take 12 years to get a new it's, it's, currency, it's crazy. A, new, a new bill up and running. You, you think that the delay is legit? It is a slow process. Mm -hmm. And the other problem that he brings up is the security, which he is right about. We are very behind the times on security for our paper money. So here you have CNN with Donna Bash. Don't, it's not Dana, even though it's spelled Dana, it's Donna Bash. Uh, so that's how you can, you know, if someone's a CNN insider or not, if they know how to pronounce that name. Uh, she's asking a currency expert about whether uh, the delay in getting Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill is legit or not. You know, what, what, what's going on here? People have been saying, 
you know, that this must be racism. Oh, it must be racism because Harriet Tubman on the 20 is delayed until after Trump leaves office, according to Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. And now I'm saying that people are replacing Andrew Jackson's face on some bills. This is in the uh, Washington Post with a, uh, what is this, a, a stamp that they've used of, uh, of Harriet Tubman? Um, they're, they're effectively taking it into their own hands to replace Harriet uh, or Andrew Jackson with, with Harriet Tubman. But you'll, you'll notice in the tone of voice with, with Donna Bosch there, uh, it's fun to say, Donna, um, you'll notice that the answer she wants is that this must be racism. I mean, right? This ha- it has to be racism, right? There's no other reason. And now, we're, because we've been told that Harriet Tubman on the 20 isn't going to happen until 2028. And yeah, here we go. A 3D stamp has been created by Dono Wall, not to be confused with Donna Bash. I'm not making that up. This guy's Dono Wall. Uh, that can superimpose a portrait of Tubman over Andrew Jackson. Uh, Jackson, And he's already sold out of these. And he's telling people to just stamp the currency with this. Um, I believe, and look, I'm not trying to be a stickler for rules here. I believe it is uh, illegal to deface U.S. currency. So I, I cannot, I cannot think, yep. Wait, he says the basic gist is if you can't, you can't render a bill illegible, you can't cover any text or numbers. Anything outside of that is fine, according to Wall. Uh, but according to the U.S. Bureau of Engraving, defacement of currency is prohibited under federal law. Currency defacement is generally defined as follows, quote, whoever mutilates, cuts, trans, uh, disfigures, not transfigures, that's something else, uh, perforates, unites, or cements together, uh, or does any other thing to a bank bill, draft note, or other evidence of debt. Okay. Uh, and you can be fined and imprisoned up to six months. So it sounds to me like you're probably breaking the law here by, by doing this there, my friend. I, I cannot... I cannot give this the uh, the all clear. I think this is probably a very, very bad idea. Uh, the stamping. I mean, I don't know how people feel about replacing Jackson with, with Harriet Tubman. Um, I, I'm, I mean, if the idea here is to have a greater diversity of representation of, of Americans from history on our currency, I mean, I, look, everyone can have their own opinions on this, and that's fine, but I would think... Uh, why? I mean, I would think Frederick Douglass or Martin Luther King a- a- ahead of Harriet Tubman, if we wanted an African American uh, representation, um, you know, individual represented on our currency. I just, I mean, I mean, me personally, I mean, you know, Frederick Douglass is is incredibly uh, eloquent and uh, so important in our history. So anyway, but look, I'm fine with the Harriet Tubman thing. I'm fine with it. I, I don't have an issue one with the other. I just think it's interesting that the that libs here are so surprised that one, the answer is that it's not actually Trump's fault. That's what CNN was going for. The answer is that it's not Trump being a big mean racist that's stopping this from happening more quickly. And also, I, I think that they, they really don't understand uh, how inefficient and slow government is. Like th- that is even at this stage of life, you have news anchors who have been in the game for 20 or 30 years working at a place like CNN and they just don't understand that government is highly inefficient, is a bureaucracy that does not function the way that we are told it will. And that there's no really, there's no really sound way to speed it up. Government just isn't that good at stuff. 
Changing currency is one of those things that government's going to be very slow at doing. And also, you know, our currency is important too, folks. Something you want to get right. Let me tell you, when I was over in China and seeing all the the Frolexes, fake Rolexes, uh, and all the fake handbags and all that stuff, you know, counterfeiting currency is not that hard either. It's an active war, I believe, for a nation state to do that. So it's a very, very big deal. Um, but we want our currency to be with all the different security measures and everything we've got. I mean, currency is a pretty complicated thing. Nonetheless, Trump's it's not Trump's fault. It's not racism. It's just the government is slow. And once again, it's that's that's a surprise to the journos because journos just don't seem able to comprehend that, you know, believe it or not, there are people out there in the government who are not working overtime all the time to get things done. We'll be right back. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Yeah, roll call, everybody. Got a holiday weekend coming up. Looking forward to it. Out here in Los Angeles, in La La Land. I'm actually heading to the beach tonight. Heading to the Boo, as it were. Which, as I understand it, is what the cool kids call Malibu. So if you see somebody drinking a Zima, dancing around in, uh, you know, aviator sunglasses with some flip-flops on, probably any person in Malibu right now. I don't think you'd be able to know that that was me. So that wasn't a very good description, but I'll be there hanging out, running around the beach. Be nice. Thinking about kind of house I'd buy in Malibu if I had a spare 10 or 15 mil lying around or forget a spare 10 or 15 mil. How about just a mil? That would be nice. That would help things out quite a bit. All right. Your thoughts via roll call facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is where you go for your roll call action uh woody right shields hi buck i see you went to china with suge you can stay engaged with any media source you wish via your sponsor express vpn oh really i fly as a pilot there all the time and stay engaged with appropriate news sources including one american news it is appropriate for you to call out that you only get seen in international garbage at most hotels but as a world traveler i and my fellow conservatives make our wishes known to the hotel staff which has produced Positive results. I have on many issues uh, gorged on issues you have brought forth. I think it says gorge there. You wrote, you wrote gouge, but I don't know what that really means. Uh, reach out, brother. Woody. Well, Woody, thank you for the heads up, man. And yes, CNN uh, International is anti-American propaganda that our own country puts out. So I wish that was not the case. Uh Turns out that I also got quoted today in an article on Mediaite about CNN's bias a couple of times. So there's that. There is that for sure. Um, all right here. Dwayne writes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Go to media. You'll see CNN claims balanced coverage, but former pro-Trump contributors disagree. Quote, we're squeezed out involuntarily. That's not what I that's not the one that my quote. Buck went. Actually, you guys, you know what? Fine. Fine, I should tell you. So this is about how CNN doesn't pretends to be a journalistic enterprise, but doesn't really have any actual pro-Trump conservatives. I mean, there's a couple, and I don't mean to be mean, but they're not exactly the one, the, the first ones that come to mind for the, the, the biggest names in conservative media. Um, 
here's uh, here we go. This is what I told. This is what I told media about CNN. Quote: CNN used to pretend it accepted right wing voices for balance, but now it openly despises conservatives who are pro Trump. Today, the entire enterprise clings to a fundamental dishonesty that it has no political agenda. Taking down Trump is obviously the agenda, and in this regard, some of CNN's hard news anchors, Tepper, Cooper, Cuomo, are the biggest journalistic frauds of all. When asked, and then that was the end of that quote, and then when asked if Sexton would ever consider working with CNN again, he responded, quote, this is interview today, quote, would I go back? Sure, if CNN stopped being crazy. <laughs> uh, good times, good times. This has already got, I think it's got close to a thousand comments. People, um, people are enjoying this, uh, this back and forth quite a bit, I think, so... I'm sure I'm going to get some some mean former CNN people or for, former colleagues of mine, I suppose, from CNN. They're still there. Going to creep into my DMs and say, how dare you, sir? What, say that CNN is completely biased and unbalanced uh, left-wing propaganda? Because it is. I mean, we, we can sit around and pretend like it's not, but we all kind of know that it is. So that's what I've got for you on that. Okay, okay, I know. I got a little... Sidetrack there. Uh, Dwayne writes, Democrats don't break ranks for the same reason Scientologists don't leave the church. They'll get destroyed by their, quote, friends. Well, Dwayne, that that may be true. I don't know. I have to take your uh, take your word for that one. Um, indeed. Let's see here. Uh, well, no, actually, that I do know that is true. Democrats will destroy their friends. I just don't know about the Scientologist thing, really. But now that I think about it, yeah, that's right. Scientologists are really mean if you leave the church, right? Indeed. Uh, let's see. John, right? Shields High. Fan from the real news days. Nancy Pelosi calling for Trump's family to have an intervention for Trump because he won't bend the knee to her is the ultimate Democrat projection. They can't stand the president hasn't resigned yet. Or perhaps it's a cry for help. She sounds like she's got a case of dementia. She's slurring and she has to pause and think about her words. Commie better lives. Uh, John, I think one of those videos that's circulating, I haven't seen them all. One of them I do believe is fake and one of them is just edited. So edited is not fake. It's edited. But one of them, I believe they actually changed the speech patterns in it. Although I, you know, I don't really know. So there you go. Don writes, welcome back, Buck. Hen bang di shu fa, which in Mandarin means great show, great hair. On yesterday's show, you called Pelosi crazy like a fox. Please never use the word fox in any context near her name ever again. Made me ill. Have a great holiday weekend. Steve, I think I said, or at least I meant to say, that Trump is crazy like a fox. Uh, I don't think I said that about Pelosi. If I did, I I misspoke, which does happen sometimes when you speak for three hours at a time, which is what I do here every day, every day. It's what I do. I speak for... Okay, sorry. Andy writes, Buck, love the show that Amash, uh, his family owns a tool company that stamps its name on Chinese goods. He is going to lose money when uh, Trump makes his trade deal. Uh, Andy, I I don't know anything about that, but thank you for uh, raising it to our attention here. Phil, Phil, what's happening, Phil? Uh, Phil, welcome back. Off-air guest host feedback, top to bottom, best to worst. Best, the Godfather. Knows how to host, has great guests, and is very entertaining. Number two, 
Ben Weingarten doesn't pontificate, has excellent guests, and allows them to speak after he asks great questions. Number three, Raheem knows how to host uh, less interesting guests. Um, interesting. And then I will not, okay, uh, I will not uh, get into the bottom of the list out of, out of respect for my, uh, my guest host, but at least his top three here. That's interesting. Let me know if you agree with this team. Um, Phil, Phil thinks for his guest hosts, he puts the Godfather Michael Pelka at number one. Number two, he puts Ben Weingarten. Number three, he puts Raheem Kassam. I mean, look, the, the good news is this is like picking your best all-star. Um, and, you know, everyone that I have guest host this show is is host worthy for, for other, you know, for their own show. So uh, always do know that when I'm not here, we're going to have a great a great person in. I mean, obviously, it's not the same show without me, but it's still a hopefully very enjoyable listening experience. Uh, let's see here. Trisha right whoa here we go not all of us in california people are crazy libs we know how we know the facts and laugh at how dumb the democrats act oh trish i know some of my favorite people in all of conservative conservativia are out here in california nor are we millennials all against trump and want socialism and free health care for illegals maybe a late end of millennial and worries me that people say they're for socialism topic for the show i'd like to suggest a rant about how absorbed california congress and governor are waiting to give free health care to people here illegally. But I'm an American. I live in California, and I have to pay for my own health insurance along with the outrageous hospital bills I have from my illness. I've never published a writing piece, but I'm considering writing a piece and trying to get it out and express how outrageous this has all become. It is. I feel an itch for speaking out and wanting to express myself. I can make money doing it. I feel like I uh, would go for it, etc. Thanks for listening, LOL, and indulging my rant. Trisha, hope you feel better. Sorry to hear about some of your... Uh, medical challenges, and I totally understand what you're saying. It's like, well, people struggle so much to pay for their health care. Um, they struggle to pay for their health care, but then we're told that people that are here illegally shouldn't have to pay anything for their health care. Well, that that doesn't seem, that dare I say, that does not seem fair, um, probably because it isn't. Let's see. Kirk. Hey, Buck. Good to hear you're back. Sounds like you had a great trip. Today I seen the Nancy uh, Pelosi talking cover-up. I think the only cover-up should be the Nancy being covered uh, as the fool she is. She speaks when she sounds half drunk. She can't lie on camera very well. Wow, you really get you really get after here, Kirk. All right, Kirk does not like Nancy Pelosi. Kirk does not like Nancy Pelosi. That is for sure. Um Let's see what else we have here, shall we? Uh, Chris writes, Buck, am I the only one experiencing this? Third hour of your show has been replaced with some podcast, a show called Sleepwalkers, a tech show. Listen on AM radio in Mississippi. Check the iHeart app. All right, so Chris, I I did look into this, and it turns out, it turns out that uh, they are now on some stations just to try it out. They're running some podcasts for about, I think, an hour a day at different times. Uh, we have, I have no control over it. It's, it's just a thing that's a sort of a top down. So if for some reason, the part of the show gets cut to throw a podcast in there, you know, let's, um, listen to the, listen to the, the podcast of my show. That's the best thing I can tell you because I can't, I can't turn this, uh, spigot off right now. It is what it is. Uh, we got more roll. Speaking of the spigot and the faucet, we got more roll call coming up. Stay right there. Rock and roll fellow Patriots. 
We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Michael, Buck, I'm to say thank you for the scrambled egg tips. My scrambled eggs have improved exponentially. My son loves them. You truly are a scrambled egg connoisseur. However, I cannot go down the same road as you when it comes to bacon. Give me thin, crisp bacon any day over chewy, fat strips of bacon. Shields high. Well, Michael, you're half right, so that's better than being whole wrong. You know what I'm saying, buddy? Hey, hey. You know what I mean. My scrambled egg tips are fantastic. Look, if you prefer thin bacon, that is fine. I mean, that's, you know, some people like wine out of a box, and that's cool, too. I'm just trying to tell you that if you start getting in the habit of drinking some really nice vintages, you might prefer that. And a nice vintage when it comes to bacon is thick-cut slab bacon that you get from a butcher. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to be a bacon snob. If I go into IHOP, what am I getting? A plate of super thin cellophane-looking bacon. It'll still be delicious. All bacon is delicious. It's like chocolate. Pretty much all chocolate's delicious. But... Uh, give it a shot, my friend. If you haven't yet already, I'm glad you've, you're on the egg train with me because that's a good a good train to be on. Um, and remember, folks, the, the biggest thing is take, take it off the heat. Don't just adjust the heat. Remove it from the heat source as soon as it starts to cook too quickly. Cook it low and slow. Eggs do not need to be cooked fast. They cook fast on their own. Medium-low heat for scrambled eggs. And break the egg on a piece of paper towel on the countertop and then pour it into the pan. Uh, do not... Break it on the edge of the pan. You will get shell ejected into the pan. You don't want that. All right. Let's see. Kristen. Buck, I'm patiently awaiting the post-China podcast. Oh, Kristen, hopefully you've gotten them. I know this week we've had some technical issues with the pod. So, yeah, I am on it. Let's see what else we got here. Um, Adam. Ran across this article planning on gene editing wheat so it's safe for you to eat. Shields high. CRISPR gene editing could make gluten safe for celiacs. Well, that would, thanks, Adam, for sending this to me. That would be fantastic. I'd really like to be able to eat bread again and maybe drink beer again. These are things that I would uh, I would really very much enjoy. I, I would like that to be the case. So if there's a way that science, hashtag science, can make that happen for me, I am all about it, my friend. All about it. Absolutely. Let's see here. We have so many messages in today. I'm trying to pick them on the fly. Richard, your Tuesday show on Stitcher was posted about three hours before your Wednesday show. The Chinese must be targeting you. <sighs> Keep up the awesome, though. Shield Sai. Yo, producer Mark, man, what is? are the Chinese hacking us? Why are the podcasts not going up? I'm going to go ahead and blame the Chinese, okay? Gosh, let's, I mean, it used to be Soros. Now I think the Chinese are hacking me. Darn it. China! Exactly. Marcus, my first thought when Beto O'Rourke's campaign started tanking was, no, if he drops out of the race, Buck Saxon might stop doing his awesome Beto impression. That would be terrible. I can't get enough of that impression, Mr. Saxon. Not only Senior O'Rourke's voice and affectations, but also your parody of his Uber PC ideas such as they are. If Amigo O'Rourke's campaign flames out, I humbly make the following request. Could you please, please, please keep doing your Ombre O'Rourke impression? You can use whatever you want to satirize a typically woke progressive Democrat. 
Shields High from Winnipeg, Canada. Yeah, baby. Some of our Canadian brothers up north listen to the Buck Sexton show. I love it. Love it. Um, well, totally, because when Betcho doesn't win the presidency, then the next stop for him will be running for the prime minister of Canada. Because while Beto isn't from Canada, he's also not Hispanic or Latino, but he appropriated a name. So why not just appropriate a citizenship? Be amazing. I like love maple syrup and Molson's beer and ice hockey. So I can totally be your prime minister and bring our hearts together as a unified one. There you go. There's some Beto to send you off for your weekend. I should talk like that in Malibu. I'd make more friends. Malibu's so beautiful. Can we conservatives, can we take it over, please? Can we just, like, set it up so we buy all the land there? And it's very expensive. There's some. There's a lot of rich conservatives out there, though. you got all these business owners who listen to this show. People are like, you know, just quietly have amassed a fortune through hard work and uh, doing it right over many, many years. So, you know, can you guys all get together? Can the, can the wealthy members of Team Buck please buy up Malibu so we have a little enclave of conservatism on the beach? That'd be fun. Right now, the Libs own the beach. All owned by Libs. Kind of enough. Uh, Oh, this is very uh, long, and I do not have time to get to this one on today's show. I'm hoping everybody will be able to download the podcast that wants to. I guess this is kind of late to say that, because by the time they hear this, they'll either know or not know. But please do tell somebody this weekend. People are going to be asking you, what podcast should I listen to? Who's a smart, young conservative who can lay it down for me while also keeping it entertaining? I'm hoping you'll say that is the Buck Sexton, or just Buck Sexton. You don't have to put an article in front of it. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Have a blessed and uh, Memorial Day. I will talk to you Tuesday. Shields high.